Today we're going to be talking to John Paul Clark, Business Development Director at Wireless Logic, about M2M and IoT from the operator and the data SIM perspective. This episode of IoT Innovation is sponsored by Anritsu. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Hi again, my name is Chris Hare. Welcome back to IoT Innovation. Thanks for joining me. Today we'll be speaking with Jean-Paul Clark, Business Development Director at Wireless Logic, and understanding a little more about the roaming, SIM, and data challenges that are faced by the IoT industry as it begins to grow up. So first of all, John Paul, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, look, based on your background, it looks like we've picked the sunny day in England, which is um, pretty unusual. So we'd pro probably better make this quick before the, the clouds come over. <laughs> thank you. So first of all, maybe you can tell us a little bit about wireless logic for those on, the, on this that are not familiar with you. And tell us a little bit about the European landscape and the, the environment that you're dealing with. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, uh, I'm John Paul and um, Wireless Logic established in 1999, our Europe's leading machine-to-machine -machine managed services provider. Um, all sounds very grand, but in reality, Wireless Logic deliver private managed IoT and M2M infrastructure um, across uh, all of the core European networks. We have private interconnects to 26 networks across Europe and um, that uh, delivering platforms, infrastructure, and managed private connectivity. We operate across a huge range of vertical markets, the most traditional being uh, the classic M2M vehicle tracking, all the way through to very high data, high bandwidth 4G and LTE applications. We have headquarters in the UK. We also have reach across Europe through offices in France, Germany, and Spain with local network agreements and also roaming partner agreements with European roaming networks and UK roaming networks. So, so maybe to talk a little bit about um, the European environment, um, obviously you've got huge challenges with uh, difference in regulation, difference in culture and language. Maybe tell me a little bit about um, how you're crossing the borders in Europe and, and what challenges that might give to a device that is also crossing borders multiple times a day. And maybe we'll talk about cars in a little bit, but, but just as an example, yeah. talk about roaming. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, roaming does have its own unique challenges across Europe. And uh, traditionally, Wireless Logic's home and headquarters were based in the UK. We launched out into France, Germany, Spain, and Denmark, and our European strategy, probably going back about two and a half, uh, three years now. And really what that has, the reason we have developed those offices in those European locations is the ability to give higher bandwidth applications uh, to deliver to customers the ability to implement a pan-European network strategy. So, uh, for example, the traditional roaming tariffs are ideal from the networks are ideally suited to what we would term low data applications traditional M2M and IoT between one and 10 meg of data. However, when you start looking at higher 
bandwidth applications, which everybody's looking at today now in the traditional IoT space, gigabits of data, that's when it becomes cost prohibitive to the networks and the roaming options. So really our approach uh, that we have taken to that is really delivering local network access in those European zones and countries. So for example, if you are that pan-European uh, distributor or customer, we have the ability to give you a full wide roaming low data application, or in actual fact, if you're using uh, CCTV or AMPR across Europe, the ability to implement a five gig, 10 gig data tariff directly connecting to the networks via our 26 network interconnects. So, so that, that's kind of interesting. I mean, in, in, over here, we're seeing uh, obviously already a transition from 2G to 3G for data and then moving into 4G, both for consumer and for commercial applications. I guess the challenge is if you're, if you're running a vehicle, let's say, or if you're running a wireless device that used to give a just diagnostic information, but suddenly now is expected to surf the internet or, or swap video, um, you're moving into a, a situation where you're gonna be having massive amounts of data traffic um, that's going to be really, really uh, hurting the network in terms of load. Um, and so what's that going to do for you in terms of uh, cost and convenience? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I think each case and application varies depending upon the customer requirements. I mean, it's a good case in point, actually, because I referred to previously our um, traditional market and this is really which has been vehicle tracking primarily because they were the early adopters of m2m connectivity now traditionally a tracking application would be between one and five meg of data now when that comes to delivering that across europe straightforward no problem at all however as that market has commoditized those systems integrators have started to add additional features and benefits. So for example, what we're seeing now with some of our traditional vehicle tracking customers is things along the lines of in-vehicle CCTV, vehicle diagnostics, and that's where you have the requirement for higher bandwidth applications. So really it's working with the partner to A, understand the data volumes, and really enabling them to in an ideal situation, manage and control that. So it might be take a, reducing the frequency of your reporting, or even if it's as simple as, let's take that in-vehicle CCTV application, building some intelligence into the device so that you're reducing the requirement to transmit that data. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. hence reducing the bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had a number of applications where the discussion was, okay, we want to be able to stream all this data live constantly and we want to have high high um, translation and we want to have over-the-air upgrades and all these other things until you start talking about the, the bandwidth and therefore the cost that that, that would yeah. entail. I mean, I think the challenge that we're seeing um, with a number of our projects is that a lot of these companies, as, as we've mentioned in previous programs, uh, the shareholders, the board, the management have somehow decided, oh, we need an IoT device without really getting a, 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 the first step of what that might entail. And I think yeah. the, the challenge is that, um, as we spoke about just a little bit before before we started this interview, um, really that it comes back to the definition of IoT and how that it's become so much of an acronym used around uh, meeting rooms 
that without people really understanding the depth of it. So, so maybe uh, just just for uh, just for fun, give me your explanation or your definition of IoT versus M two M. Okay, yeah, and there are huge variations, and I get different answers from different people in different markets. The I think my definition or explanation or my understanding of IoT, it's really all about it's an umbrella term for the transmission of that application data. Now, IoT refers to, it might be Wi-Fi, it could be satellite. And in actual fact, one of the things that Wireless Logic have done over the, over the more recent years is bringing on additional bearer services because, and it's interesting talking about how you develop an application. You know, a lot of customers will come to us with a wish list. Now that wish list is basically saying, right, I need my wired application to operate in exactly the same way as I do out in the field in a mobile environment. There's a certain uh, management of expectations from the customer. And it kind of goes back to exactly what we were talking about in that it's not, you're not going to be able to take your in office device and implement it in a mobile application globally primarily because you are using a wireless technology which has its own limitations and also we're talking about the size of the bandwidth so iot definition to get back to your question i would suggest is that umbrella term of managing that data and understanding of all the huge volume of data that's out there today and we've talked we hear all the time people talking about big data is actually how do you get that relevant information out from that huge mass of data that you have and again that leads into developing an application because when we're talking about a uh, a cellular technology you can't afford to be sending that huge volume of data you have to manage that data and disseminate what's the important information that i need to transmit to keep my cost to a minimum and ensure resilient and effective connectivity so, so commenting a little bit on your business's uh, position in the middle, if you will, between the uh, the, the device um, creator um, and the the wireless operator. What are you seeing in terms of the type and scale of customers that are approaching you now and saying, "Hey, I want to activate a SIM in this market for this product"? You know, maybe give us some examples of the weird and the wonderful, because you know, one of the things that that I'm constantly surprised at is. That's an that's an application for IoT. I would never have dreamt of being valuable. Yeah. And some of some of these are, are just off the wall and won't make it. And some of them, you think, okay, well, that's really obvious. I just hadn't thought of it before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, t- talking about weird and wonderful, there's a, a, a an interesting application that we have in the agricultural market. So we work with a manufacturer of combines and agricultural equipment. Now into the combines, they have a telemetry system. And that telemetry system will, when that combine is out harvesting, will basically understand the yield of what it is collecting when it's out uh, in the field. And the data, the telemetry data that that combine harvester takes on board will then be stored by the farmer. And then when that farmer, uh, let's say the next season is sowing sowing his seed or uh, sowing, sorry, his um, fertilizer, what he'll do is he'll take that yield data from when he was combining the field. That yield data goes into the fertilizer data of the tractor. And then they'll increase the amount of fertilizer 
fertilizer that they're spreading in a low yield area of the field. So right. it's a really good, weird and wonderful example of you think, wow, where did all these things come from? And that's one of the great things about working in this market. Every day or you know, every week, you're coming across weird and wonderful applications. Some of them you know, won't be working today. Some of them take a long time to come to market or they need the edges knocking off. But certainly, yeah, um, agriculture is a good one. Um, another one we've just finished rolling out or in the process of rolling out at the moment um, uh, to a large or the, one of the largest European car wash companies managed on-site car washes. Really? So basically, traditionally what those guys have done is they've implemented a broadband connection. Now, what we're doing at this stage is across, I think it's uh, 12 countries with seven different networks with something like seven different languages implementing multiple countries. So again, we're not just taking a single SIM. This is not a single SIM solution because as we talked about earlier, with high bandwidth, you have the issue of... Uh, Roaming terrorists won't work for that. It's not commercially viable. Once you start to get above hundreds of megs of data, that's when it just basically becomes cost prohibitive. That's why one of the big rah-rah USBs of wireless logic is the ability to say, well, in actual fact, with our 26 direct network interconnects in Germany, we'll give you Deutsche Telekom. Uh, we'll give you Austria Telekom in Austria. And it may be in France, we'll give you SFR and Bouygues. All of that can then be managed through a single platform and a single source. And really that's, that's kind of the USP of what an aggregator is, is the ability to give you access to multiple networks. Has that and again, sorry, go on. No, so, so I guess picking up on that, I guess one of my questions is, does that mean that you're ending up dealing with both large and small customers? And uh, how does that help you? When you look at your own business and you look at scaling, with everybody predicting trillions of devices and um, you know, you know, the amazing, amazing uh, predictions in terms of volume of data, cost of data, and revenue. How do you plan your business? Are you working on a quarter by quarter basis? Are you really looking at uh, uh, discounting the hype and taking numbers from that? How do you how do you plan for what really is is an unknown quantity at the moment? Yeah, um, I think really it's the experience that the teams have of understanding the application, which is going to be the next best thing. So, for example, we are out there constantly looking for the next uh, the next big thing in IoT and M2M. Now, it means that you have to have an understanding in a huge cross section of markets, but we all know the we all know the ones that are out there at the moment. You know, you've got the in-vehicle, you've got the telehealth, you've got the smart metering. We have to work with those markets, some of them uh, maybe at the very bottom of the development curve, and we'll have to nurture those partners and customers over their development process until that market actually takes off. I mean, one of the things that I've found in my eight years of wireless logic is there's so much hype uh, and marketing around the next best thing, but in actual fact, the media uh, quite often are two to three years ahead of actually the what the market can achieve at that point in time. And let's take telehealth. People have been talking about telehealth for what, five years now? Mm -hmm. And it's really only over since the last sort of 24 months that things have actually started to happen in that sector. And we've seen people coming out with 
devices that you know can actually be used in anger yeah and, and i think part of that maybe maybe uh, coming back to the european examples what i'm seeing over here at least is that some of that is driven by regulatory limitations um, you know, regulators are, are typically not not in the position to define a market or to create the boundaries for a market until the market already exists. So the challenge over here is that you've got the crossover between, for example, the FCC, the FDA, the FAA, for all of these devices that are either being used for health plus technology or, or um, in, in aircraft plus communication. And that whole crossover creates its own challenges. You know, how does that translate to what I must imagine to be a really massively complex matrix of, of regulators in, in each of the European countries? Yeah, um, I agree. I think uh, the, each market has its own standard. So again, if you're looking at the payment market, you're looking at things like PCI compliance. Um, and again, we do a lot of work with what we would term the blue light services. And there are... Uh, government-driven strategies for security of how that data is managed. So, for example, within the UK, and you have the same equivalents across Europe, you have something called the PSN, which is the Public Services Network. Now, that's a, um, a set of standards that ha uh, all of the organisations that interconnect to the government bodies have to adhere to. And again, it's almost, from that point of view, it's not a case of you must apply these standards, but it's a case of you must understand what these are and the risks and exposures if you do not address these standards. So um, very much, I mean, one of the benefits that Wireless Logic has is because we are delivering um, a, a 26 networks, a lot of those um, regulatory issues will be managed at the top end by the networks that then have the clout and the ability to, um, to work across Europe from a governmental perspective to ensure that uh, the, the communication standards and securities are met and addressed. So we have the benefit of, I guess, almost sitting on the shoulders of the, the, the core networks who will be able to lobby and then basically manage that kind of connectivity requirement. So, so I, I guess, you know, beyond roaming agreements and beyond uh, network sharing, of course, uh, infrastructure sharing that started with some of the operators in Africa, um, do, you, do you see a greater sense of cooperation in the European market by the operators now? Do you see um, a greater understanding that, that a shared resource is a better resource? Um, or do you still sense quite a, a strong degree of competition? Um, I, I think there has to be competition because you've got to remember here that if, if, if you have spent uh, billions of euros here implementing rolling out a network that is your core value as a network you know by sharing that network with other partners you know you are undermining your investment in your infrastructure so I think it has to be and the movement that we've seen in Europe has been regulatory you know the reduction in roaming charges and roaming rates that's driven by the EU regulatory bodies. It's not the networks, you know, no. the network, it's been a huge cash cow for the networks. Good on them, you could argue, but in actual fact, uh, it's the EU regulation has pushed that down. And in actual fact, I, you could argue that you're gonna see lower revenues, but in actual fact, maybe much higher volume, and therefore, are the networks gonna lose out? It's, it's a good question. Yeah, so, so, you know, as someone that travels back to the UK fairly often and around Europe on, for meetings, 
Um, you know, I've seen my behavior change that if my network was going to charge me way too much to, to roam, I'm not going to use that device in the UK, for example. I'm going to go buy a SIM card in the UK and I'm going to use unlimited data from one of the UK networks. Whereas as the roaming is, is dropping quite considerably, I feel much more comfortable. So actually my usage increases for my home network. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, how does, that, how does that compare with what you're seeing with industrial or IoT customers? Are they going through the same uh, evolution? Are you seeing actually business cases and business models change as the roaming has, has changed with some of the customers that you have? Yeah, um, I think the, the, the challenge we have at the moment is those roaming rates are still fairly cost prohibitive. You know, great for low data. And I think there is a certain amount of uh, fear between the networks of handing over control of their infrastructure to devices that they have no that they cannot manage so right. some of the roaming partner networks that we have um, within the m2m and iot space one of the requirements that we have is every customer has to submit a device for approval on the network mm -hmm. now that's something that whilst in the states is fairly common in europe it's actually a fairly new thing uh, and the reason for the driver behind that is because of the huge growth in M2M. And to be perfectly frank, and it's a, you know, any guy with a GPRS modem in the UK can basically develop an application and launch it. You know, it may have messy disconnects and it may create aggressive roaming behavior. And you'd be surprised how, um, how easy it is to disrupt a network with uh, with a poorly designed application. Absolutely, I mean, one of our previous guests um, were the, the guys at the Wireless Research Center in, in uh, North Carolina, and they're focused on RF engineering. Um, one of the things that, that fascinated me with their journey and their discussion was that if you are creating a device with an antenna that is that is acting up and behaving the wrong way, then not only do you disrupt that customer, but potentially you put yourself in front of a lawsuit by the competing networks where you just jumped all over their bandwidth or jumped all yeah. over their frequency or the spectrum. And I, and I think, you know, I, I agree. I'm, I'm a little surprised that um, this is only just coming out in Europe because I'm certainly seeing a lot of devices that show up, you know, eBay, Amazon, etc., where they're clearly not, never been tested on a network in every country. I mean, while while I was at Sony, I mean, we had a, a massive it's, it's team. We had a massive team that were working really, really hard to figure out how to test every device in the field in every environment for every network prior to launch. Because if if the device caused the network traffic to be disrupted, then our customers, in this case the operators, would be really, really unhappy, and really unhappy often included included lawsuits in certain parts of the world. Um, yeah. you know, and, I, and I see, I agree. I mean, to your point about uh, uh, GPRS modems and beyond, you know, it's very, very easy to get your hands on 2G, 3G, and even 4G uh, chipsets at this point. Um, putting them into a, into a device where you really don't understand what's going on is becoming very easy. Uh, we've, we've done a previous discussion with a number of the uh, semiconductor groups and even microcontroller companies like Renesas who are talking about making the onboarding of a chipset easier for the IoT company. The challenge is that unless you've got every variable made easy to the extent that you know that the whole system works properly, 
the risk is that you've just you've just run into a brick wall even faster. Are you seeing yeah. that kind of issue with your customers? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, actually, where you were saying that. Uh, one of the things, quite often, when customers that, let's say, have a domestic application within the UK, and immediately they want to put it into a roaming SIP because they're launching across Europe. Use it, it's, now, they will perceive that it's just a case of, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'll look out my UK network SIM, and I'll stick in my roaming SIM. There are certain nuances of how those uh, roaming networks operate or those roaming SIMs operate compared to a UK SIM. So it's really important and we will always say to our customers, you know, if you're taking out a domestic application and utilizing a roaming SIM, you need to go through some quite rigorous testing processes to understand and make sure that that application operates seamlessly across Europe. Because again, we're talking here about devices that are spread across a huge area. The last thing you want to do is roll out, let's say, I don't know, take a traditional application, a metering type application, and then realize that because you haven't fully tested and adhered to the necessary processes, you've then got to go to site and take out 10, 50 maybe even 100,000 SIMs and devices. That's why it's so important that when you are implementing a roaming solution, that well again it's a bit of a sales pitch here but make sure that the partner that you're working with has a good understanding of that marketplace and that technology so, so I think that's a really important point I mean the challenge I see is that people underestimate the complexity of wireless I think that's fairly clear um, you know maybe talk a little bit about your background I mean I, I certainly see that a wired connection is something that is only trusted by certain industries and certain markets Maybe com compare and contrast kind of wired versus wireless because I, I think I think that aspect is super underestimated right now. Yeah, and, and as a result, people are are falling down and not want, and not realizing why. Yeah. Um, so my background has been uh, industrial networking. So we used to work uh, in my previous organisation with lots of military systems integrators. They would only touch a technology. Um, once it had been thoroughly tried and tested. So for example, you know, and I'm going back probably about 10 years ago, they were, uh, they were only just entering the ethernet market. You know, prior to that, they were still utilizing the serial technology. Um, so definitely you have to remember, and this goes back to managing uh, someone's expectations of saying, right, you know, I've got a wired application, I wanna make it mobile, I'm gonna stick a GPRS modem on the back end that is not the best way to approach it. You know, there are, you have to remember that this is a wireless technology that we're talking about. Nothing is perfect in the world of wireless because, you know, comms rooms, for example, we do a lot of building management applications where your customers are interconnecting to a comms room. You know, comms rooms typically are below ground. Immediately, you've then got an issue with signal strength. Potentially, that uh, you, a comms room quite often almost works out to be uh, a Faraday cage. So there's very poor signal that's in there. And I would always say, you know, it's wireless is a, a fantastic technology and it's a great market to be in. But uh, you have to manage your and understand the limitations of wireless. You know, it's not an always-on technology. There will be uh, black spots. And there are issues when it comes to bandwidth. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the challenges. As I as I mentioned before, we started the interview. Growing up in the rural part of the UK, I, it used to frustrate me that my the operators at that time 
uh, and I'm talking 20 years ago, would, would reference their uptime and their capability in terms of percent of the population. And we certainly still see a little bit of that in the US, but obviously the more you get into more rural areas, they have less capability, less, less um, desire or reason to propagate a network to all corners of a country. And I think yeah. the challenge is if you've got an IoT device that you're using for tracking or for health monitoring or for other items that are actually becoming even more critical, the, re the issue is, okay, we're used to our phone calls dropping or we're used to occasionally having a, a dead spot on the road while we're driving. Um, if that thing is monitoring your, your heart rate and you've got a pacemaker, then it becomes uh, mission critical to keep up time. And I, yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think the industry is ready to, to fully address that. No, and it's a good case in point, actually, talking about resilience. And a lot of people see uh, a roaming sim as being the answer to resilience. So, for example, within the UK, a lot of customers are thinking, well, in actual fact, let's move away from my single carrier network and I'll actually put a, a roaming sim in the device. Right. Now, that's fine. But remember here that a roaming SIM is still delivered over a single network. So the best way of explaining that is, let's say the UK, and you have a, roaming, a, a SIM that will roam in the UK across four different networks. That's four carriers, but at the back end on the private APN and on the infrastructure, it's still a single carrier. It's still going through a single network. So for true resilience, um, mission-critical applications, we would still recommend a, a, a dual-SIM router or a dual-SIM solution because then you have two completely independent carrier networks, two completely independent backhauls. Yeah, I, I think that's that's important. And I'm certainly, I, I just I bought, a, I bought some phones from China recently for a project we're doing, and they're all dual-SIM. And, of course, part of that has been the private phone versus business phone. Uh, but part of it is the fact that you've got a network reliability issues that mean that you actually want that backup. And I think that yeah. kind of backup solution, and certainly as we move into software sims and, and that, uh, that world, this is going to be a, kind of a critical, a critical component for uptime success. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've seen customers with applications where potentially what they'll do is they'll have two, chip, they'll have two options. They will build a chip sim into the device onto the PCB, but they'll also have the option uh, and they will also build in a second SIM slot. So right. therefore you can say, right, okay, you've got a single carrier solution with our service or in actual fact, Mr. Customer, if you wanted to go ahead and A, add resilience or B, use your own SIM, you've got the option of having a second network or a redundant network. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. So um, thank you very much. That's been really interesting. And um, I, I appreciate understanding a little bit more about the, um, the, the SIM environment and the data traffic, because I think one of the challenges that we see is that um, there's so many components of IoT, it only gets broken by the weakest link, of course. Uh, and I think yeah. one of the aspects I see is, although the carriers are working really hard to encourage young companies to get involved, uh, some of the the, uh, process, the um, semiconductor companies and microcontroller companies and other companies are working hard. If you can't get on the network reliably and with a cost that makes sense, then your business model um, is, is full of holes and just doesn't work. So, so, so with that, I'd like to thank you very much. Um, today I've been speaking with Jean-Paul Clark from uh, Wireless Logic. 
And uh, I noticed in the background, incidentally, that the cloud has moved across. So uh, I hope you get to have a, have a pleasant afternoon and a, and a good weekend. Thank you very much for joining me. IoT Innovation is a production of RCRTV. To reach Chris Hare or suggest a show topic for IoT Innovation, you can reach Chris at cbh at ntete.com. To find out more about IoT Innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.